Welcome to Main Street Banking, a podcast for community bankers brought to you by the Barrett School of Banking and ICBA Securities. My name is Byron Earnhardt, and I'm the Programming Director at Barrett. It is our mission here to serve the community banking industry with information that is informative, relevant, and hopefully we'll have a little fun along the way. So, from Memphis, Tennessee, home of banking, blues, and barbecue, welcome to our little corner of the community banking world. And we hope that we can make your bank, your staff, or maybe just even your day a better one. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Main Street Banking Podcast. I know it's been a little bit of time since I talked about the chat GPT generated content, and I apologize for the delay, but needed to do a little bit more research and reading on the topic, plus it's just been kind of busy around here. As you know, a few uh, weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, we did a a podcast episode that was entirely generated by AI. I went into ChatGPT and told it to generate a, a, a podcast episode that explained things that community banking needs to know. We put that out there, got a lot of uh, listens on it, and uh, some of the feedback that I got all pretty much could be summarized with what I think was probably the best quote about the quality of the content. And that, that was that it sounded like a high school senior wrote it for a composition paper, which I really think is probably the best, uh, the, 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 the best descriptor I, I could find for it. And that's it. I mean, it, it, it was so clean and sterile that there was no, uh, th- there was absolutely no authenticity placed into it. And so by means of contrast, I'm doing this one completely off the cuff. And usually when I do my own podcast, when I don't have a guest and it's just me, typically I do script them out a little bit so I don't sound like a bumbling idiot. Um, but this time I wanted to sound like the bumbling idiot and compare that to the nice, clean, sterile GPT generated, chat GPT generated content. Because I wanted you to hear the difference. Okay. I wanted you to hear that there is a place and a large place for authenticity when it comes to content. I was watching, and I'm going to come back to this later. Uh, I was watching this morning. I'm recording this on May the 2nd. Uh, Steve Wozniak was on CNN. And he made a really interesting statement about it, that I, about AI that I think is applicable to really anything we want to have, any discussion we want to have around um, AI and its use in, in the workplace. And he said there has to be a human editor. There has to be a human editor at the, at the helm editing what gets spit out by, by the machines. And that's what I saw as well. Now we can take that and apply it. And I think we should apply that across the board, uh, to a lot of other uses for artificial intelligence, but in terms of content, um, particularly marketing content, you've got to have somebody there editing what is being said. And that's what I saw there with, with my podcast that we did. It was fine. You know, it was a good solid C plus B minus episode by by my estimation. And while I do always strive to do really well, I wanted to, like I said, show what it looks like in its in its purest form. 
And so that right now, this 10 seconds, that that's the best advice that I think we can take from that experiment, from that AI uh, trial that we used and say it's good, um, but it's not great. Okay, there has to be somebody there tweaking it. There has to be an editor, um, producer, some, somebody there to say, all right, thanks for the help. Thanks for getting me started. You know, let the, let the organics take it, take it from here. And I, we're seeing some value with artificial intelligence here at Barrett. There's going to be some things that we're looking at there, but it's got to be done under the auspices of uh, Chris, Ashley, or myself to add that level of authenticity. Your people know, your customers know, and your employees know you. Good, bad, or indifferent, right, wrong, or otherwise, they know you. They can read an email and say, well, so-and-so wrote that, or they had their assistant churn that out. And we've all gotten those emails, right? We've all seen those letters, uh, memos that we know came from on high or came from management or those that they offloaded and had somebody else write. We can see it. It's really hard to define. It's really hard to say these three or four things definitely are definite indicators, but we just know. And so I don't think necessarily from the, from the standpoint of content creation that it's, it's a bad thing. I think it's a good place to start. I will say, though, uh, I checked right before I recorded this episode, ChatGPT is still wrong on a lot of issues. It's still wrong on a lot of things uh, that involve banking. I don't know that it's ever learned what the efficiency ratio is. It still gives me really weird stuff, and when I asked it to explain, it kept talking to me about cost of goods sold. (sighs) Now, if you have taken my language of banking class, you would know that that really isn't a concept we deal with in banking. So take it with a grain of salt, use it as a, as a starter, um, but authenticity in your, in, in your content and what you write and what you say uh, goes a long way. And I'm not saying that every, and I'm saying this as a Southerner, I'm not saying that everything you write has a has to have a bunch of y'alls and phrases that nobody understands outside of uh, outside of the South, like till the cows come home. But there's still ways that you can express your authentic uh, personality in content that does have a degree of professionalism, and then some doesn't necessarily have to have. But the point is, is that you're doing it. It's going into your voice and your bank's voice, and that gets right into your branding. That gets right into who you were wanting to be as an organization, who you are, or what are you you are presenting to yourself. Sorry, what you are presenting of your brand to the community, to whom you want to serve. And that gets right, and then that you can just take a step back from that, and boom, you're right there at culture, you're right there at mission statement, you're right there at your corporate values, and are those being communicated? At the very least, are they being communicated to the marketing department or anybody else doing some sort of content creation? 
And then right off of that is that whole message being uh, delivered to everybody up and down the org chart, because if they don't know it and marketing sends something out, you're left looking befuddled in the branch. And I think we've all been there before too. So that's sort of the summary on the, uh, on the chat GPT podcast experiment. I had fun with it. I think it was an interesting, um, look at it, if not very technical. Um, but I think it was an interesting way to look at the use of chat GPT or AI in the banking profession in community banking right now. Now, as the title of this episode implies, we're not stopping here. Um, there are some really large concerns in the world of AI that that's what I've been doing some reading on and thinking about and listening to people that I like and listen to. Um, one being Steve Wozniak today. Um, we've got some serious concerns coming down the future and not too distant future concerning AI. I don't know if you heard because it didn't get a whole lot of play in the media, more on that. Um, we had the chairman of the, of the Fed get faked out by a deep fake of President Zelensky in, in the Ukraine. That's scary. Now, it happened to be done by a prankster and, you know, ha-ha. But think about the implications of that in bank security. We're already spamming. Uh, well, we're not. But uh, CEOs' uh, emails are already being spammed, asking bank employees to do crazy things. What about a phone call? What about a video message? What about just the, the scary things that AI can do to trick us? Now, we can run, run down that rabbit hole, and I think we should. I think we need to look at uh, all the, the, the negatives uh, of anything. But we're going to have to learn to use AI in order to combat AI. If we're going, if the bad folks are going to be using artificial intelligence in order to deceive, trick, and steal money, we've got to have a tool that moves as fast as machines, faster than humans, and that we can sort of program and put parameters around. That's AI. We're going to have to learn to use AI to police itself. And I know I'm using the phrase AI as sort of a broad spectrum of technologies, um, but I'm, need, I need, I'm doing that for illustrative purposes so that we can say we know there's going to be bad in the world. We know there's going to be people trying to trick bankers, trying to trick our customers, and uh, use it for nefarious means. But that same technology in the hands of the superheroes, the, the good folks, can be used to combat that. In a sense, it's almost sort of like a, a spam filter or a firewall on steroids that we're going to have to train. Can it be done? Yeah, absolutely, it can be done. I think that's where this is going. I'm not one of the naysayers, you know, out on the streets hollering at squirrels talking about the, the end is near. I think we sort of need to listen to some of these because there are some 
really smart, really intelligent people who know a heck of a lot more about this than I do that are saying, hey, we got some issues. We've got some problems. This is uh, pretty scary stuff. This is not your bank getting a website and people having email that we lived through in the early 90s. This is not the ATM. This is not the end of the world as forecast by the smartphone. This is some pretty serious stuff that as a society, and I promise I'm not going off <laughs> preachy, but this is something we need to, as a society, really begin to understand and learn the limitations of. There may not be very many limitations of it in the first place, but we're going to have to learn to harness it for our own good. Okay. And sort of like the tail end, I was thinking about this this morning, sort of on the tail end of this is, uh, uh, as a dovetail off of the chat GPT part where there has to be a human editor, I really, I really think that if we, for instance, move all credit decisioning over to AI, there's going to have to be some sort of human element to this overseeing it. Um, if we're starting to look at AI in terms of um, capital deployment or, or things like this, at some point, we've got to look at it and see as, as uh, effective risk managers, we've got to be able to look at what AI is telling us in terms of deploying capital and investing capital to see if it makes sense. Does it make sense in a rising interest rate environment to move a significant portion of our uh, investment portfolio into long-term securities, Silicon Valley. I don't know. I mean, that clearly that doesn't make sense, but we have to be able to look at and see what's being told, and still use our brains as to what uh, as to what is being said. At some level, <laughs> at some level, there's nothing really new here in that. We were talking about this in our digital marketing class at grad school, and uh, Eric Cook was talking about the metaverse and what community banking might look like in the metaverse. Really interesting. What I found really interesting about that, and this is tying into AI, what I found really interesting is we talked a lot about the design, the way it looks, uh, what JP Morgan uh, is doing in their uh, metaverse branch and things like that. Uh, videos, education material, all that, moving your little avatar around. But do you know how we how we discussed uh, engaging once we, you know, engaging with the customer or the prospect once they come into that branch? Hi, how you doing? What can I help you with today? That sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Like every training class we've ever done in banking since at least the mid-90s when I went through it. It's just using the technology coupled with our common sense, coupled with our banking training, good relationship management, stuff that makes sense, and understanding how what we're doing there at the front line impacts the bottom line. And that's really it. And that's really it. Now, we talked about using our common sense, and sometimes 
uh, as I get older, I'm, I'm sort of realizing my father and my grandfather were pretty smart individuals when they were, said that common sense is a rapidly declining asset. But I wanted to talk what we're seeing today in terms of the uninsured deposits, the conversations around FDIC insurance, the bank failure fallouts. And I don't know about y'all, but I have seen and heard, I want to say stupidest, but that probably is being a little too harsh, but I said it, so we're going to go there. Been reading a lot on Twitter, take that for what it's worth, uh, about some of the conversations around universal uh, deposit insurance. The fact that this is even a discussion in any public sector just boggles my mind. And when we see, you know, politicians who aren't crazy necessarily um, and, and try to make just crazy sound bites ahead of a primary, we're seeing politicians and rule makers absolutely discussing something like this. We're seeing Cornell law professors going out there and advocating uh, for essentially what is nationalization of the banking industry. And they're arguing that this is a good thing. For instance, the one article I was reading yesterday was uh, bemoaning the fact that J.P. Morgan ended up with uh, the uh, First Republic assets and the loans. And they were bemoaning the fact that this is going to be dangerous for the regional banks. By the way, I didn't mention community banks. The regional banks, and that uh, it would be the end of small business lending as they as we know it today. My response was, they're not doing that. It's the community banks that are doing this. They're the ones that are going out and making 60% of the small business loans and something like 80% of the ag loans. These two failures are, are, are on both coasts. They're not looking at the flyover states. And I know, look, I know I just went to little University of Tennessee and I was probably hung over for most of my uh, finance classes, but I remember talking something about moral hazard. And so if we're bemoaning this idea that um, the, the, the rich get richer and um, we're going, and quote unquote, bank management failed, and then we talk about how basically to remove all moral hazard from this bank management. I, I, again, I'm not the smartest guy on earth, but my goodness, this has got to be some of the craziest conversations I've seen. And then when you turn on CNBC, when you turn on something, you pull up some financial news, this is the conversation. We're not talking about things. I don't even, truthfully, I'm not even 100% positive we need to raise the deposit insurance. But in the event that it actually does happen, things like the payment accounts, I, why are we not talking about, uh, why are we not talking with as much frequency as universal deposit insurance, things like tiered systems? Um, putting up bonds. How many of you community banks are having to put up bonds and that ain't cheap for your local municipalities? You've got to guarantee those. Why shouldn't, and if, and if they're going to engage in that business with large corporations and their payment accounts, why shouldn't they do the same thing? 
seems like that would remove the risk from the, the banking industry and put that over uh, onto those that want to engage in that business. That seems fair. That does not seem to, uh, what doesn't seem fair is for us to assume that everybody ought to chime in and pay for the mistakes of really stupid management. There's really no other nicer way to say it than really stupid management. But one thing that does sort of spin off from the, um, from the conversations I'm seeing about the, the big banks versus regional banks is something that's been overlooked, I think, in this conversation. But it's something that we addressed here at Barrett, I think, in 2018. We did a webinar on taking a look at J.P. Morgan Chase's strategic plan that they that they put out. And in their plan, I didn't steal anything. That was they put it out in that strategic plan. They talk about their commitment to uh, what they're calling community banking. And they it, briefly in there. But it's in that report, they were basically going to be using a hub-and-spoke model um, of really thinking through their brick-and-mortar branching strategies and then sending their people out into the community to go get business. The, the famous Jamie Dimon art, uh, interview on CNBC a couple weeks ago was in one of their downtown Atlanta community air quote, banks. Now, I have never lent in the Atlanta market. I do not have a pulse on the commercial real estate values in uh, downtown Atlanta, but I'm going to bet, uh, I'll bet a couple of my good pipes that that is not cheap property. I imagine that is a serious commitment of capital. So what are they going to do with it? Well, they told us four years ago they're making hub and they're going to use that as a central area for them to go out and get business. Now, can they? I don't know. I don't know if they can or not. They got the war chest, however, to uh, come after a lot of our customers. And let me bring that a little. Let me bring this a little closer to home to those listening here in the Memphis area, because we do have a good uh, size audience here. I was. <laughs> My son and I were driving uh, home, decided to get a Burger King, uh, he loves Whoppers, uh, decided to get a Whopper off Goodman Road in South Haven. And at Goodman Road and I-55, there is a J.P. Morgan Chase branch going up. Now, for those of you that aren't in the Memphis area, let me kind of pull aside. This is about, I don't know, a handful of miles from downtown Memphis. Uh, really close to the I-40, I-55 interchange, big intersection of the interstate system. Uh, it is not too far from a pretty good hotbed of C good CRE deals that are getting put together, uh, some by Barrett students, by the way, um, that, are, that are down there. Um, that, that real estate on Goodman Road, while I'm betting is not as expensive as downtown Atlanta, it ain't cheap either. Um, FedEx is not too far, so a big area. You're getting a lot of the, uh, the, some of the traffic, the, um, free trade area traffic's going through there. Amazon's put some stuff in. It's a lot more developed than you would think in North Mississippi. And I say that being from North Mississippi. 
do you really think J.P. Morgan Chase is going to be putting that much money and that much capital in that sort of a uh, market to come after car loans, checking accounts? No, they're coming after the big stuff. They said they would. And if they were smart and they have a lot of money to prove that they're not stupid, this whole argument of get ready, get ready, get ready is really past. It's here. If you were close to, or in the, if you were in the MSA of a major or semi-major uh, metropolitan area, the big guys are already here or they're coming. It's past time to get ready. So, you know, I, I think it's time we have those discussions. I think it's time we take a look and say, hey, you know what? We got to figure out AI. I know it's scary. I'm hearing a lot of crazy stuff, too. And I know you're getting pounded out in the market from customers and from the media and things like that. I get that that's what's happening. I get that the bad guys are, are, are coming in. But it's time that we stop and take a look at what we've got, what, the, what cards we've been dealt. <laughs> Go back to Sun Tzu. What is the environment that we're fighting this battle in and what are the, what are the, uh, what are the weapons that we've got? But we've got to drown out the noise, too. And there is a lot of noise. And the noise doesn't make any sense. And there are some really good bankers out there on social media that are doing a great job fighting the good fight. Keep going. Keep doing that. And go find those bankers and go do what they're doing. Okay? Go do what they're doing out in your communities. Because the only thing that can combat that J.P. Morgan Chase hub-and-spoke model is the... Uh, competitive advantage that you have in your own individual market. But Byron, they've got the war chest. Yeah, I know, but you also have the market share. You have the power. You have built the moat. You have built the wall around your communities to combat that. And yes, there's a lot of macro issues going on right now. Again, a lot of loud noise. We've got to punch through that. So that's my soapbox <laughs> for this one. A lot of stuff going on. I just wanted to... Uh, take that time and uh, sort of address what, what I've seen going on and, and encourage you in the community banking industry uh, with, what, with what we're seeing here at Barrett. Uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at any time. If you'd like to just uh, talk banking with me, uh, I'm, I'm game for that too. So anyway, I hope you're having a good day. Uh, be sure you're following us on all social media, and we will talk to you later. Thanks a lot. Well, that wraps up our episode for today. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss out on the latest episode. We'd also appreciate a five-star rating as well, as that will help get the content out to more listeners. We appreciate ICBA Securities for their sponsorship, and if you would like to know more about quality investment products, services, and education at competitive prices, check out their website at icbasecurities.com. And finally, if you don't follow Barrett on our social media platforms, be sure to check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook to stay up to date with all the cool new things that we've got coming up. And as always, from Memphis, Tennessee, the home of banking, blues, and barbecue, thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you have a great day.